Welcome to the Young IPA Podcast. I'm James. This is Pete. G'day, everyone. It is the 26th of May. This is episode 165. We're back in our homes recording, so RIP in peace, my back, but we'll get there. Uh, but i got to say, this is a good show. Like, I know I say it all the time, and I'm not <laughs> saying I don't feel this all the time, uh, but, like, Ooh. when I was looking at the run sheet this morning, I was like, man... This is a kind of show where, like, this is why I want to have a podcast. Like, I'm, I'm just so happy with the interviews we've got for this week's show. Yeah, no, we did. We just got off the phone with Greg Sheridan, who I'm sure you're about to talk about in a second. And it was a fantastic interview on China and everything yeah, yeah. to do with China. Yeah, so, like, we talked Belton Road. We talked uh, internal Chinese policy. We talked foreign policy as well, foreign policy with the US. It's this wide-ranging discussion because I know a whole lot of people are really concerned about that side of politics so big interview with Greg Sheridan and also we're talking to Matt Lanigan so people might have heard this one in Victoria Tim Smith who's a liberal MP I think it was my like either last week or the week before you know, every every day blends into one these days but uh, he interviewed a cafe owner who was sort of saying can Victoria please get in line with the rest of the nation on health advice and what we're doing to support the hospitality industry because uh he just simply wasn't able to open up his cafe to sitting patrons. Did video with Tim Smith. Then Sleeping Giants got involved. And instead of going after, you know, the politician went after the cafe owner. So we're going to talk to him about his story. And it's going to sound sad at the start, but then it gets good. So stick around because it, I don't want to... I'll let him tell his own story, but there is a happy ending. It was actually really cool. He's a really positive, energetic guy. And, you know, good luck to him. And we could learn a lot great. from him. We could, we could, especially, we could. especially you, but no, no, especially, especially yeah. both of us. Uh, okay. Uh, so yeah, really awesome show. And we need to start off with uh, JobKeeper, Pete. Now JobKeeper, mm. this story broke literally 45 seconds before we recorded Friday's show. So a uh, bit wild. It was like my final check through Twitter and I was like, oh, JobKeeper's wrong. Oh, well, <laughs> too late to stop the recording of the show now. We're all set up, ready to go. But now that we uh, have the opportunity to actually like know what's happened, Pete, talk us through it. Well, I'd just like to say that, you know, everyone's stuffed up at work before. You know, that he or she who has uh, never sinned can cast the first stone, as they say in the Bible. But uh, you seem to be getting the, out in front of something, Pete. <laughs> I, what I'm saying is that the Treasury made a massive mistake with the government's economic re- rescue package. And actually... This stuff up and some stuff up, stuff ups uh, end up okay. This stuff up is going to save the government sixty billion dollars. What they found was that they th- thought that the, they overestimated the number of people that would be required for JobKeeper because some firms, a thousand firms, uh, were putting in instead of saying the number of employees they would need for JobKeeper, they were putting the amount of money they needed. So rather than saying I've got one employee that needs JobKeeper, they'd put like fifteen hundred bucks. So as a result, uh, Treasury massively overestimated how much it was going to cost uh, and it's going to save us $60 billion, uh, $60 billion, yeah. So that's a good thing. Um, I, My first and major takeaway, James, is that these people, right, that are meant to have this deep understanding of the Australian economy and stroke their chins and say, you know, we can, we can dictate what happens, didn't even work out that the number of people... Uh, required for JobKeeper was massively overestimated by these people. Yeah, it's just this complete insulation. Like, the people we uh, trust to manage the economy or manage coronavirus, like, no one was in the boardroom going, like, hang on, this number doesn't sound right. Like, are we... 
Are we sure about this? Like, are we uh, are we really sure about this? Now, Treasury's excuse is that the actual amount of firms that filled it in wrong is very small, and that's what led to the problem. But, like, yeah, just how does that not get people going? This does not seem right. Like, how little do you actually know of Australia's small businesses that exactly. you're that far wrong? And I gotta exactly. say, for those businesses, like no one's assuming that the businesses were going like, you know what? If I can put the wrong number here, I'm gonna get some extra money. It's just some forms that the government puts out are extremely confusing, and everyone's stressed out enough anyway. So, like this is what business people have to deal with all the time with government red tape and oh wait, we actually stuff things up. You need to fill out this form like this. It's just tough, and it's just highlighting a huge problem in the Australian economy. Exactly right. And surely like every government form has people that uh, fill it out incorrectly. Like they should have a built-in error, you know, amounts that they can sort of work out stuff like this from. But I'll give you the figures of the how much it will impact because that's a big consideration. So we said 72.5% of people were working for the government, uh, either just working for the government in government or on JobSeeker or on JobKeeper. Uh, that is now been scaled back by the boys, uh, Kean and Kurt to 53.6% of the labour force, either directly employed by Commonwealth and state governments or JobKeeper or Job job seeker so which is not better quite, but it's not good yeah it's still over half yeah <laughs> it's still which over is half. very concerning so we've seen calls for you know this should be expanded to migrant workers and international student uh, job keepers should be uh, expanded to migrant workers and international students and casuals who haven't been in the employer for more than 12 months uh what's the other thing that's about it from me really on that i suppose and oh, one more thing i do get the emails from barefoot investor now so I saw he Making had an email in the financial world. So any financial questions, let me know. Uh, he had a question from a teenager who was earning 150 bucks either a week or a fortnight. Can't remember. Now they're getting 1500 and they wrote it to the barefoot investor and said, what should I do with this? And he had a bit of a spiel about how that annoyed him as a taxpayer. But then he said to put it in as a deposit. So anyway, there's still problems with this. That's the main problem I have with this is that people who are nowhere near 1500 bucks a fortnight generally now have are getting that and it feels like a bit of a waste of money yeah it's one of those things because like the government needed to respond to coronavirus very quickly so i can understand that it's like not the most thought out policy in the world if you need to make it in exactly 48 hours but these are the things where you just wouldn't mind a few more people in the room disagreeing with each other or just really pushing the numbers because this is what happens like if i can bring the sorry the other idea is that you've got the board full of people that are getting these numbers coming in and they go no one's realizing that the numbers are way off but the other part of it that might be bad is like what's the culture there that these numbers were clearly wrong but no one had the guts to sort of kick up a stink about it and say hang on it's something like that like if people know the challenger explosion from like the 70s or whatever it was where a space shuttle launched and then 16 late 16 seconds later on national tv exploded like when they went through what happened was that there was a bunch of nasa scientists that were finding out like this ship might explode but then no one wanted to kick up a storm and you know bring down the energy or cancel space missions and then really? the thing explodes so if you've got a boardroom full of people if you've got all these people high up in australian economic response to coronavirus that are either not knowing that much about the australian economy or too concerned to kick up a storm about how the numbers are way off and we actually might be uh, spending what 60 billion dollars more than we thought we should have been like that's a bad corporate involved culture to have so you're suggesting there's a bit of, hmm, this doesn't seem right, but I'm just going to pass it on. 
Well, it's one of the like I don't, I'm not there, but like you either that you either don't know about the Australian economy or you don't want to kick up a fuss. Like, how does a sixty billion figure, which is quite large, get passed? Yeah, no, exactly right, James. So we'll see how that unfolds over the next little bit. Now, do you want me to talk about the article that I saw in Spiked a couple of weeks ago? Not a couple of weeks ago, in the last few days. Pete, we're a team. If you want to do it, go go with Let, it. Follow that energy. Le- Let's do it. So I'm waiting for Matt Lanigan. It's following the positive energy. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a bit of Matt Lanigan in all of us. And so I had a specky piece a couple of weeks ago about how to say that it was the whole debate about the coronavirus was lies versus the economy was stupid because our lockdowns were harming people in the developing world. There's another piece in Spiked in the last few days by an individual called Daniel Ben Ami who wrote this really, it's quite a long piece. It's a few thousand words, but it's got stat after stat about the negative impact that coronavirus, not just the coronavirus, but coronavirus shutdowns in the Western world are also having um, on the developing world. He writes, indeed, the global economic shutdown could have had a far more devastating impact on poorer countries than COVID-19 itself. Even if the direct health effects turn out to be a relatively small, the human impact of the world's self-imposed economic shutdown could be enormous. Now, we know in the last few years that global extreme poverty has fallen below 10%, uh, and that could be under threat because of COVID. Uh, We know that, I think it was the World Bank that said 49 million people could go into extreme poverty because of COVID-19. So anyway, this is all just a way of pointing out that this lives versus economy thing has been absolutely shot to bits. The impact of this on the developing world is massive. And you should point that out to anyone who says that to you. Let's move on to heroes and villains, starting with the heroes that grunt the pig, freedom, snort. We don't have silver behind the tech desk, so there might not be the snort. Grunt the pig, Australia's pig. He bestows his snort upon people that are standing up for freedom and liberty around the world this week. And we'd like to acknowledge some people who are, Pete, who is your hero? Well, I mean, there's very few people that are more worthy of this to this week than, of course, the protesters in Hong Kong. We've seen, unfortunately, the China's National People's Congress made the announcement that it would force a law banning subversion, separatism and acts of foreign inter- interference on Hong Kong. It's expected to be passed on May 28, effectively what this means is that uh, it uh, allow Chinese agents to arbitrarily arrest people in Hong Kong for activities deemed to be pro-democracy. People are saying that this overrides the Sino-British the Sinai, well, sorry, Sino-British Agreement of 1997 that they made, which allowed Hong Kong to hold on to a number of their freedoms that they had already had um, once the Chinese took over. Um, and so they've been operating under the, the one nation, two systems model. Um, but now it looks like a lot of those freedoms have disappeared, like the freedom to protest, the freedom of speech um, and things like that. So uh, National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien for the United States said the proposed legislation could allow China to basically take over Hong Kong. Uh, and there were protesters over the weekend where people were arrested. The uh, Hong Kong police fired tear gas Um so this could be a really, really serious thing for Hong Kong. It could really be the end of those freedoms that they've been fighting for. All right, hopefully not, uh, and good on them. All right, my hero this week is Dominic Perrottet, who is the treasurer over in New South Wales. Uh, came out, Andrew Clinnell on Sky News broke that uh, Gladys Berejiklian's decision to reopen pubs and restaurants for up to 50 people, which was higher than what was expected, was pushed by Perrottet. Uh, so good on him. And if I may go on a ramp, Pete, permission to yeah, speak go. my mind i know the show is long but like we had the, i think we had this on the segment on the show a while ago which was like the problem with having too few politicians in australia which sounds so uh 
at odds with like the idea that you should have a limited government, small government, like we don't love politicians having a lot of power, but I also think there should be more. It's because in the UK, when like the House of Commons is just absolutely chock full of people, if your party is in power, but they're not doing the thing you want, you can kick up a bit more of a fuss because like you're the hundredth person in line for the throne. But in Australia, with so few politicians at state and federal levels, like you don't really want to kick up a fuss because you're like two steps removed from power and you don't want to hurt yourself doing that. And it is kind of cool to see that Australian politicians are sort of bucking that trend of, you know what, I'm just going to play the party game. I mean, you've got Patterson and Hasty with the uh, the Wolverines, my membership application still pending on that one. Perrottet in uh, New South Wales are like kicking up a fuss about getting Australians back to work. There's all these examples. I mean, Tim Smith over in Victoria pushing really hard on social media, which is, you know, not like also kicking up a storm. It's good to see people not exactly in the positions of power uh, kicking up a fuss for their beliefs. Okay. What, so, but what has, what, what has Perrottet done? So he's uh, been the guy that pushed for things to go up to 50 people. Okay. Like okay. The reason oh, okay. they went up to 50, Perrottet. That's what Clinell reported. There you go. All right, good there hero. Go. Two good heroes this week. Very uh, yep. serious ones. All right, uh, and then villains, Pete. All right, well, as we know, we call, if anyone could hear that, that's uh, the police coming to arrest me. Apologies if that's coming through on the audio. Yeah. Uh, Incredibly so no, stereotypical joke from Peter Gregory. <laughs> oh, quick hide, mate. Uh, yeah, so what are we doing? Villains. Okay, now we call this the Extinction Rebellion Fake Nudie Run Award. The roller tape Mitch. Mitch is on today. More than 300 arrests have been made across Australia as Extinction Rebellion protests enter their sixth day. Okay, so that's the tape. That's what we award for villainy, for anti-freedom, uh, the Extinction Rebellion Fake Nudie Run Award. James, hit us with your villain, mate. Uh, sorry, my villain, it, it's... It's tough to like put this down to one person, but we need to talk about the Clementine Ford story, but it's not exactly Clementine Ford that's the villain, but there's like a whole lot of hypocrisy around it. So Clementine Ford famously, probably everyone's seen this by now, and it's now deleted so you can't see it if you have seen it, but she tweeted, honestly, coronavirus isn't killing Ben fast enough over the weekend. Uh, that got a whole lot of, um, you know, storm on Twitter and she's deleted it now. Now, so there's a whole bunch to work with here. One bad tweet bad opinion kind of thing obviously but uh if you genuinely let clementine's ford clementine ford's twitter feed impact your day like i reckon pause the podcast right now and then just go stare at yourself in a mirror for 20 seconds and then just come back because like she can't hurt you uh it's but this is conveniently what i also say whenever someone says alan jones saying put a sock in it uh freaks out about what might come of that so which conveniently is also what the ACMA, Australian Communications and Media Authority, did last week on Alan Jones when they condemned him on his way out uh, for three comments about Jacinda Ardern. Quotes, uh, I just wonder whether Scott Morrison's going to be fully briefed to shove a sock down a throat. Now, I hope Scott Morrison gets tough here with a few backhanders. I hope he goes for the throat this morning. Now, none of those are my favourite comments in the world, but I don't think anyone's genuinely thinking that Alan Jones is causing for violence there, and that, nor is Clementine for genuinely calling for violence in her thing. So if the ACMA, though, Australian Communications and Media Authority, if they genuinely think that Alan Jones deserves censorship for what he said, then so does Clementine Ford. 
like uh, Clementine Ford has a grant from a Melbourne city council, which we discussed on this show, to write a book. And the last time I checked, a book is a form of communication. So it's under the ACMA's purview. So if Alan Jones decides to be censored, the ACMA, that's the terms of their engagement, they should censor Clementine Ford too. Now, in my book, neither should be censored at all. But these are the terms that the ACMA put down. So I guess in a roundabout way, my villain is the ACMA. Okay. Well, I think you're right. I mean, it's a bit of a hypocrisy all around here. It's a real hypocrisy party, if you will. I think, yeah. along with the ACMA, what about all those, like, uh, I mean, we talked about them in the interview, um, Sleeping Giants. They went after, what's his name, Alan Jones, as a result of his comments. So surely they should be, you know, doing their normal hysterics. I'm with you. Like, I don't care what, like, it's just a joke and who cares? It doesn't really mean anything. Uh, the other bit of hypocrisy is, though, I mean, Clementine Ford has basically made a, a career out of saying that jokes are part of what causes a culture which permits violence. Do you know what I mean? So, like, part of violence against women occurs when people say disrespectful things about women. So that's why we have ads on TV saying don't say, uh, don't say boys will be boys, don't say things like that, because that creates a culture which permits violence against women. Now, I don't agree with that, but that's her view. So based on her logic, saying a comment like this theoretically makes it easier to commit violence against men. Now, as I said, I think that's stupid, but it's clearly hypocritical for her to say, oh, this is just a joke, when her whole career is jokes aren't jokes. Um, for sure. So All right. that's another piece of hypocrisy. Your All villain. right, my villain. Now, my villain's Joe Biden. Now, we don't mind Joe on this show. We get a bit, a bit of mileage out of a lot of, <laughs> a lot of his stuff, but this is really bad, actually. This is not just Joe being a silly duffer. This is Joe giving us a window into the sort of, you know, the thinking of the identity politics proponents. Joe Biden was having an interview with the Breakfast Club co-host Charlemagne the God. Not sure if it's his real name, but Charlemagne the God. Do you know, actually, have you heard of this guy before? Definitely his professional name. Like, I've heard him a few times. Surname that God. Anyway, uh, Biden has apologized. Yeah, it's, like, it's like Jay-Z is not his real name, but he's Jay-Z. It's not his real name. I didn't know that. Um... Anyway, so I reckon Jay Z was his real name. No, that, that was a joke. <laughs> oh, I don't know if it was. I don't know if it was. It definitely was. Uh, so, anyway, Mitch, I've got the tape here, so roll the tape. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. So, Biden has apologized and said, I shouldn't have been such a wise guy and I shouldn't have been so cavalier. Now, that is an incredibly racist thing to say, James. Now, I know this is not. It's a little bit different from saying from someone saying something stupid and racist. This is like, this is how heaps of people on the left think. They think someone from an ethnic minority should only vote left because everyone of that ethnic minority thinks the same way, has the same needs, has the same worldview. When we know that any group, whether it's you know, African Americans or gay people or whatever, have a completely diverse, completely different, and there's no way you could ever assume that they all would vote the same way, um, and. It's more serious than a person just saying a silly racist thing. Like it's actually this whole worldview which puts us into groups and it's, um, and it's inherently racist because it defines us by our group characteristics rather than our individual characteristics. So that's the main thing. But there is also a practical point. It's like, why would, the, why would black people want to vote for you? You were part of the Obama administration that did two-fifths of the proverbial for African-American people when they were in power. And now Donald Trump has achieved up until the pandemic the lowest african-american unemployment rate in history and also the lowest hispanic rate unemployment rate in history so on a very practical level it doesn't make sense either but my main point is the first one and that's why joe biden is my villain this week uh, i can't top that but i will say like uh 
political history, recent political history, is just not kind to people that assume their base isn't going to go anywhere. I mean, I mean, Hillary Clinton in the Rust Belt, 2016. Yeah. Jeremy Corbyn in the North of England last year. Uh, Bill Shorten in Queensland last year as well. So. I mean, that's just not the way you want to play things. Like, I'm not talking about, like, yeah, you know, in, in response to one minority. If you go, like, oh, I don't need to worry about this group of people right here. I don't need to even think about it because I'm on the battleground. They're not coming. Especially exactly in a place right. that doesn't have compulsory voting. Anyway, uh, that is it for the start of the show. We'll now go to our interview with uh, Greg Sheridan and with Matt Lennigan. Okay, we now welcome on to the show foreign editor at The Australian and author of God is Good for You, A Defense of Christianity in Troubled Times, uh, Greg Sheridan. Welcome to the show. Good to be with you guys. All right. So, Greg, uh, you're foreign editor of The Australian and the basically foreign policy has been all the talk of the last week, especially in regards to the inquiry into coronavirus and China and then also Victoria's Belt and Road links. So... A lot of talk's been had about what Belt and Road is and what it means for everyone, but I don't think it's still quite out there in public knowledge about what exactly the program is. So what is uh, what are Belt and Road agreements? So the Belt and Road Initiative is um, a program by China. The, the metaphor is that they're going to put one belt around the world and they're going to have one road around the world. And all the belts and all the roads lead to Beijing. And uh, it's it's a... Uh, it's partly an aid thing. They do give some aid to people to build infrastructure. It's partly an investment thing. But the reason Australia has decided not to sign up to it, along with a lot of other Western nations, is that it's really a play for geostrategic influence by China, or geostrategic power, really. So they, in a lot of countries that are poor, the Chinese have... Uh, uh, induced the countries into what we call debt trap diplomacy. So the classic example is Sri Lanka. Uh, China lent them a lot of money to build a port. Uh, it lent them more money than they could possibly afford to repay. The port wasn't in a very economical position anyway. And when they got to the point where they couldn't repay the money, China said, OK, we'll take the port off your hands. Uh, we'll forgive your debt if you give us the port. So now China owns a strategic port in Sri Lanka. That sort of thing has happened in many parts of the world. Uh, it's also um, enslaved a lot of very poor third world nations into, into uh, debt dependency on China. And then it's also often come with strange conditions on the infrastructure. So the infrastructure has to give preferential use to China uh, very often, and it's allowed Chinese military access. It's also been part of China's intelligence gathering uh, operation wherever there's an american military presence it tries to have a big bit of chinese controlled infrastructure with all the chinese um, capability around that so what australia has said is look we're we're not going to sign up to that and we're not going to endorse its geostrategic aims but yeah we're happy to trade and invest with china so on a case-by-case -case basis china wants to invest in an australian company their investment proposal goes before the Foreign Investment Review Board. I think we've allowed too much uh, Chinese control of our vital companies, but that's just my opinion. But our, our state policy is we treat everything on a case-by-case -case basis, and that's the uh, policy also of the Federal Labor Party. So the only state government which has signed up to a Belt Road Initiative uh, agreement in principle is Victoria. 
Um, now, we still don't know what's going to come out of that in concrete terms, but it's a propaganda win for China because it can say, look, the Morrison government, because it's a lackey of the US imperialists, said no to us, but the Andrews government despises its own federal government. And of course, the Andrews government helped the Chinese with this by taking China's side in its dispute, uh, its current disputes with Australia. So, Greg, I can understand why a developing nation might get caught up in this because they can access funds which they might, otherwise might not have access to. But why would Victoria side up for this? And do you think it's a good idea? Well, no, I think it's a terrible idea. You see, it's it's beyond the competence of a state government. So any investment China wants to do in Victoria will have to go through the Foreign Investment Review Board, which is not a Chinese, uh, which is not a Victorian body. So Victoria has no power to say yes. But what what China typically does, it's quite a complex uh, psychological as well as political process. The Chinese Communist Party cultivates people over a number of years. You know, it takes it took Bob Hawke to China and it had little schoolgirls strewing petals in his path. And you could see Hawke thinking to himself, at last, somebody understands who I am, you know, and uh, they've done a version of this with Dan Andrews. You know, they've cultivated him over many years because they deal with these self-inflated provincial leaders in batches of hundreds. You know, they're so experienced at it. And then they hold out a kind of El Dorado of riches for the state. They say, look, you are an old friend of China. And of course, that means you invest profoundly in the relationship as such. So it means automatically you're never going to criticise them over human rights, over interring Uyghurs or anything like that. And then they say to you, we want to invest in your country, in your state. And we've got billions and trillions of dollars that we can unlock for you because you're an old friend of China. Not only that, we have special expertise in building infrastructure. And then they nod shrewdly and say, not only that, there is a lot of work in third countries which Victorian uh, companies might get, you know, um, accountancy firms or, um, or, or feasibility consultancy firms for aid projects or something because you're an old friend of China. And they, they open up all these riches, but it always it almost always turns out that these riches are a shimmerer, that the when the negotiation actually happens for a real project, it's on very ruthless terms. The Chinese are very unsentimental traders, uh, nothing against them for that, but they always uh, they always go for the best deal. So you find that you're not actually getting a concessional loan if you're a rich province like Victoria, you're actually being asked to pay over the odds. Or another problem the Belt Road projects have had in a lot of countries is that they import a Chinese workforce. Uh, so this has been a big problem in Africa. Then there's no technology transfer to the locals. So the Belt Road Initiative might say, well, you'll you'll help us, of course, bring in our 500 or our 1,000 preferred Chinese workers. I'm not saying this will happen in Victoria because we don't know yet anything concrete that is going to come out of it. Uh, and um, so... What they, what they do really is hold out the promise of great riches through being associated with the Chinese government, but it's difficult to see how that can amount to anything, uh, anything material. Uh, and then, of course, a final question is, um, Victoria is part of this Belt Road Initiative, apparently, is Victorian research cooperation with China, yet the federal government is moving to a point where we're going to have to restrict a lot of joint research efforts with China because we know that they are used 
either for weapons. For example, there's Australian joint research with China on artificial intelligence, but China is using artificial intelligence in military applications, which may in due course be used against the United States or Australia. Similarly, it's using AI in intelligence applications, surveillance of its own citizens, cyber warfare against us. And by the way, Malcolm Turnbull said in his memoirs that China does espionage against Australia far more than anyone else on an industrial scale and doesn't care if it gets caught. So, way of Okay, sorry, Greg, we lost you there for a second, but we got you back. You were discussing the uh, industrial-scale surveillance from China as described in Malcolm Turnbull's memoirs. Yeah, Turnbull's memoirs uh, have a terrifically good chapter on China, very, very instructive chapter on China. So Turnbull is no China hawk. He's no Cold War militant. He's no super aggressive guy. But he says, just as a matter of fact, that China does industrial-scale espionage on Australia. Both commercial espionage and traditional espionage tries to steal all our military secrets, tries to steal all our commercial secrets, runs more spies against us than anybody else. They're very brazen about it. They don't care if they get caught. They want information on everything. And the Belt Road Initiative is a, a part of that. I mean, Turnbull doesn't talk about the Belt Road Initiative in this context, but around the world, the Belt Road Initiative is a part of that. So. I think from every point of view, it's very stupid for Victoria to do this and very improper because they're running a foreign policy against the national foreign policy. Uh, so Mike Pompeo pretty strongly slammed Victoria and even referenced uh, disconnecting from Australia. Uh, like it wasn't really fleshed out what he meant by that, but you know, pretty troubling words uh, if we were too tied up in Belt and Road. So does Victoria's Belt and Road Initiative uh, seriously damage our relationship with the US? It certainly is pretty unhelpful, and Pompeo's comments are evidence of that. Mind you, um, no one could be more opposed to the Andrews Belt Road stuff than I am, but there was a sort of a slightly uh, ill-informed or off-centre element to Pompeo's remarks because he said if the Belt Road initiative from Victoria does anything with telecommunications, the US will have to review its intelligence sharing with Australia. But... Andrews has no power to do anything with telecommunications. Australia has a policy which Chinese companies, Huawei and the others, cannot participate in our 5G network. Um, anything like that that they wanted to do would have to get federal government approval. So Andrews has no power to affect that. And then the US Embassy pretty quickly clarified uh, Pompeo's comments. But I think the broader lesson out of Pompeo's comments is that the United States regards Belt Road Initiative projects as a geostrategic power play by China, often directed at hurting the US or hurting the nations that they get involved with the Belt Road project or compromising alliances like the Australian alliance with the US. So it certainly is a very unhelpful element uh, from Andrews. I don't think it could lead to the US um, disconnecting simply because Andrews doesn't have the power to do anything stupid enough to to cause that much trouble. Although the Andrews government has shown itself on these matters to be so stupid, and you know, in today's Australian, we see that Anthony Albanese has condemned um, the Andrews deal, and Labor has said it won't sign up to a Belt Road initiative federally. But so, but having said all that, I, I don't think it's going to lead to a rupture in the U.S. Australia alliance. 
Greg, I'd wonder if you could just talk about the relationship with China in general. It seems like a really difficult thing for Australia to deal with, and obviously it's going to be an ongoing issue in the next few years for the foreseeable future. Obviously, there's massive security issues and there's really big economic issues as well because a lot of our businesses rely on the Chinese market. How do you... How do we deal with China in the long term, such a belligerent power, but also something that we rely on? What's your strategy there? Well, um, it's a very big, diverse question. Uh, you know, China is like the Middle East peace process. It will never end and it will never end well. Um, the, and there is no solution. It's a bit like marriage, you know, there is no solution. Um, China is a very, very belligerent power. And under Xi Jinping, so Xi Jinping became president in 2013 or some, some maybe 2014, about then. And he changed the arc of Chinese political and uh, military development, became very, very aggressive. Since this coronavirus crisis, it's become triply more aggressive. And it's had troubles with lots of nations other than us. It's, um, you know, it's had a huge dispute with France, said the most shocking defamatory things about France. It banned the Prague Philharmonic Orchestra from touring because uh, the Czech Republic had said it'd be a good idea to hear from Taiwan in the World Health Assembly and so on. What is our strategy? First of all, we've allowed ourselves to become foolishly dependent on China in a trade sense. Very foolish. Now, people say you shouldn't provoke China needlessly. But if we don't have the domestic discussion about what China is like, we cannot um, provide a framework for our institutions. So our universities have become wildly dependent on Chinese students, and they've engaged in a whole lot of joint research with China, which has military and security applications. They shouldn't have done that. But although we were taking measures to restrict China's ability to intimidate us, we weren't having a public discussion about it. So the universities weren't getting guidance that this was a foolish thing to do. There's, we, we cannot solve the China problem. All we can do is say, there are core national interests of Australia, which we will not compromise on. We won't compromise our alliance with the United States. We will stop uh, Chinese entities from interfering in our politics. So we have that foreign interference legislation. We won't allow an extradition treaty, which would allow China to intimidate its diaspora population. We try hard to kick back against Chinese espionage. We're going to stand firm with our principles. You know, we support freedom of navigation in the South China Sea. We will occasionally have something to say about human rights. All this means we're going to get a lot of kickback, a lot of trouble from China. But actually, even if you grovel and kowtow to China, you get a lot of kickback too. I mean, no country has been more craven in its abasement to China than New Zealand. But when it recently said, hey, Taiwan has handled this coronavirus crisis very well, let's hear from them in the World Health Organization, uh, China reacted with fury, with absolute incandescent rage. So going along with Beijing doesn't guarantee you a quiet life either. The two specific measures Australia needs to take is we need to bolster our defence forces radically and we need to um, uh, diversify our trade relationship. So the fact that it took more than 10 years to approve the Adani mine is a travesty in the China context. Because if we had approved the Adani coal mine 10 years ago, we would now have a much bigger resources relationship with India. And to deal with China, we need to diversify away from China 
but our own foolish, crazy, uh, constipated politics make it impossible for us to develop the kind of resources trade which, uh, which we need to have with other nations apart from China. I think the answer to my next question is just going to be like, who knows? Because who would know? But uh, look, in history, the Soviet Union was all powerful and then it wasn't. And, you know, Chernobyl happens and the, their own people lose faith in them. Is there any chance, like, I mean, with China and the Hong Kong protests, and then you saw stuff like a uh, hashtag, we want free speech exploding the second that Wuhan was locked down. Is there any chance that these sort of internal pressures can sort of bring down the Chinese Communist Party? Because I'm with you that like no other country can solve the Communist Party problem. It's going to be the Chinese people. Are, are we seeing the sort of impetus that might lead to the uprisings that could bring them down? Um, James, I think Hong Kong is a special case. Um, before the virus, Hong Kong was protected by two things. The willingness of its people to... Um, engage in massive demonstrations and secondly the threat always <clears throat> excuse me that the american congress would impose massive sanctions on china if it took draconian action there so china is limited uh, a little bit in hong kong by those two um uh, unique features these features don't apply to the rest of china now of course a dictatorship is inherently brittle and xi jinping has turned china into a one-man dictatorship you're more likely to get a situation where other people in the leadership think that he is causing too much harm to China and remove him. Um, I'm not suggesting that's going to happen, but I think that's more likely that, to happen than a full-scale democratic uh, rebellion. The last time China seriously considered liberalisation authorised from the top was at the Tiananmen massacre in 1989. So before the massacre occurred, there was a faction within the Chinese leadership saying, why don't we have dialogue with these students? Let's talk about their reasonable demands. They weren't proposing to become a liberal democracy overnight, but they were proposing to become a softer dictatorship. Now, the reason to be fairly pessimistic, to be honest with you, James, is that the Chinese studied what happened in the Soviet Union very, very closely. And they said, for God's sake, that's never going to happen to us. Look what Gorbachev did. He did perestroika and glasnost and five minutes later, he was in the dustbin of history and Soviet communism, which the Chinese rather admired, had collapsed. Well, the, the Chinese Communist Party has no intention of collapsing. Now, another key point in the Soviet collapse was when Soviet troops refused to fire on their own citizens. There is no indication at all that Chinese troops won't fire on their own citizens. And the Chinese Communist Party manages this all very well to prevent regional rebellions. So, for example, the head of each region, each province, has to come from some other province. You can't have a locally grown regional boss because they don't want any situation where a region has a sense of autonomy against the centre. They move troops around all the time. Also, they have become the world's best and unprecedented at surveillance and intimidation of their own population. So 1984 was an astonishingly prescient, brilliant, far-seeing understanding by George Orwell of where the industrial state could go in keeping under surveillance and controlling its own citizens. Of course, the technology didn't uh, exist at that time. Orwell's imagination 
leaped beyond the technology. You remember in one scene in Big Brother, uh, he, in one scene in 1984, he has the state talking to the citizens through the TV, talking to them individually, reaching out into their living room and saying, no, Winston, I know what you're thinking and it's wrong. Well, we thought that was science fiction fantasy when George Orwell wrote it. The Chinese can do that now. They do it perfectly well. They, they monitor exactly what you do on your social media. You get a plus score if you're extolling the virtues of the government. You get a minus score if you're doing anything else. The plus score helps you get, you know, preferential university placements and better housing and all the rest of it. Now, I'm not saying the Chinese system will go on forever. The best chance of it unravelling, I think, is a disagreement at the elites. So um, to take another uh, far-fetched historical example, the Roman Empire switched to Christianity when Constantine himself was converted to Christianity. So you'd almost need a critical mass of the Chinese leadership to say our nation can and should do better. And the final other reason I'll give you to be pessimistic, James, is um, their, their economic model has worked quite well. So dictatorships promise economic growth, but rarely deliver it. Uh, the Soviets did in the early days, the Nazis did uh, before they went to war, but it's very unusual for a dictatorship to have a prolonged period of economic growth because everything about a dictatorship militates against the free exchange of information and so on. The Chinese so far, until the corona crisis, have delivered sustained economic growth consistent with their Marxist-Leninist, quasi-Stalinist political model. Now, I think there are contradictions there which hurt China. And of course, its cyber espionage allows it to, you know, it doesn't discover the technology itself, but it steals it from everybody else. Adding that all together, your bet would be that the Chinese system is durable. But history tells us, you know, the one thing we never foresee is the big discontinuity, which is, you know, which happens the next day. Greg, that's really interesting. Uh, you've been on the international affairs beat for decades, so you've seen it all, or not at all, but you've seen a lot. What is China the biggest threat that you've seen in your time working as an international affairs journalist, or is the Soviet Union bigger, or Islamic terrorism bigger, or, or was it China? I think China is certainly the biggest threat today. Uh, we've never had a threat like China. So the Soviet Union was an enormous threat, very, very powerful empire that it led uh, and it had huge military power it had thousands of nuclear weapons and could have destroyed <clears throat> the united states or the world at any moment but didn't do that because it knew it would get destroyed in return um, and it was a rational power china is not as belligerent as the soviet union so china doesn't at this point invade its neighbors in the way the soviet union did so china is not the soviet union China is not Nazi Germany. It is very repressive internally, but it's it's certainly not, you know, it's several leagues different from Nazi Germany in its in its domestic repression and so on. Or, or I mean, it's in a different universe, really. It is a repressive, very, very repressive dictatorship. The thing that is different about it is that it's now such a giant part of the global economy. We've never had a dictatorship which has had this much power, whatever China is, 16 or 17% of the global economy. It has become the world's manufacturing uh, hub. It has monopolized a lot of critical strategic projects. It makes uh, uh, products, rather. It makes 
whatever it is, uh, 80 or 90% of active pharmaceutical ingredients. It dominates the rare earths trade, which we all need for our uh, smartphones. It's, it's uh, making a massive effort in artificial intelligence. It is also engaged in massive military buildup and it has occupied and stolen and built and created islands all through the South China Sea. Now, having said all that, its leaders have in, say, since 1979, always made rational decisions. It does respond to incentives and disincentives. I guess the question for the West is whether the West now has enough strength and internal coherence. So I'm not, nobody should go to war with China or anything like that, but do we have enough um, esprit de corps, strength of conviction to protect our core interests, to develop, for example, 5G technologies, which are not Chinese influenced, to win the race in artificial intelligence, quantum computing, uh, and, and the other leading edge technologies. Up till now, we've thought the market alone could do it, but it, it's clear that these matters require strategic intervention from Western nations. Now, and the other thing, the other reason I can't give you a proper answer is because we don't know what the limit of China's strategic ambition is. Seems to me it just keeps pushing out and when it meets firm resistance, it stops. Um, so we need to produce a lot more firmer resistance. Will it get to a point where it decides to smash through resistance, say over Taiwan or closing the South China Sea? I mean, if, if Beijing shut the South China Sea to navigation, that would be a devastating blow to Australia. And the only nation that could do anything about it would be the United States. So the United States-led alliance system is absolutely critical. But are we all committed to that alliance system today in the way that we need to be? So that's a long-winded way of saying I can't really uh, give you an answer. It's a much more serious threat than Islamist terror. Um, but how much of a threat it is, it's still a bit unclear. Some really interesting months ahead and years ahead for the world. Greg Sheridan, Foreign Editor at The Australian. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks very much, uh, James and Peter. Really good to be with you. Okay, we now welcome onto the show Matt Lanigan, owner of the South Yarra uh, Cafe Lucky Penny and someone who's somehow become the front line of the internet culture war. So, Matt, uh, we want to talk to you. How are you going? Very well, very well. Thanks for having me. Okay, cool. So why don't you tell your story from before the Tim Smith video that started this whole thing and then what happened after it? Um, okay. Um, well, I guess we, we, we got some media attention early on in the lockdown because we were one of the first businesses to pivot into an online grocery store. Um, so we got a, an interview with Channel 9 um, and then the media seemed to like... Um, like to follow our story a little bit. Um, and so we, when um, Daniel Andrews did a press conference, um, basically announcing that we wouldn't fall into line with the rest of the country um, and we would be on a stricter regime, um, both Channel 10 and Channel 9 came to the cafe to kind of capture that part of the story. Um, the... I guess Channel 10 actually filmed me um, watching the announcement and they were kind of expecting it to be a good announcement and they were going to try and capture a, a positive story. And then it, the way it turned out, it became like um, a little bit of disappointment 
for us and the industry. Um, and so if they were happier <laughs> because they got a, they got, you know, news like a, they like a, a story with, um, a bit of confrontation, I guess. Anyway, Channel 9 came down, did a live cross. Um, they did a filming during the day. Um, one of the one of the quotes that I um, said during that interview was, um, uh, I think Daniel Andrews is playing politics with our livelihoods. Um, that became the the run of the Channel 9 story. Um, and, and It's a good quote. <laughs> well, it was it was raw, you know. Like it was the, that was my that's my honest belief. I stand by that belief. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm, I follow I follow world politics, um, federal politics, state politics. Um, I, I like to stay in touch with current issues and affairs and what's happening around me. And um, you know, it was to me it was clear that that's what he was doing. Um, so you know, there was I wasn't I didn't think I was being political by saying that, like I, I thought it was obvious to everyone, right? Um, and so anyway, that happened early in the week. Um, we had a couple more uh, pieces of press. Tim Smith did a, um, a shoot with us the next day in the cafe, um, just kind of, you know, me and a bunch of other industry people were lobbying for a roadmap. If, if we couldn't start trading, we wanted some kind of direction as to when we could open. So um, we, we were taking, you know, uh, the, the chair of Chapel Street Precinct was lobbying uh, at other levels and I was taking whatever media I could. Tim's a good friend of mine or I've known him for, you know, um, probably over 10 years and he was like, oh, um, I saw you on the news, want to do a um, bit of media through my, through my channels, maybe we can, you know, help, help get the message out there. I'm like, yeah, of course. Um, came down, did a did a, um, a shoot with David Davis, Tim and myself in the cafe, um, just capturing what we were doing and kind of pushing the same message as, you know, can we have a roadmap? Can we have some more direction? Um, one of the edits um, Tim posted, so, so that happened, yeah, so Tim posted on, so basically I, I, I kind of forget the series of events, but it was more like, um, Wednesday, Tim had a go at Daniel Andrews um, and got a lot of attention and a lot of negative attention, people, you know, harassing him. Um, we had filmed the day before that and then he released our footage on the Friday, the Saturday and the Sunday. By the Sunday, the, I guess the far left or whoever they are, um, were very angry and the, the one Twitter post that he did on the Sunday ended up, we became a victim of that because it was in our cafe. Um, I started getting harassment um, via direct messages to my personal Facebook account, um, on Twitter. Um, the the venue started getting one star ratings, uh, one star reviews on Google, Facebook. Basically, we became like a. a, a I guess we became like a pawn in their political argument and they, they decided that they were going to pick on us by association of, you know, doing a video with Tim in our cafe. So I guess that, that kind of um, started it. 
And to, to be honest, for me, like I've been in hospitality and entertainment for 24 years since I was 14. And like, uh, I, I'm fine with rejection and I'm fine with, you know, you can't please everyone all the time. And I, you know, it, it doesn't really get to me that much, but I guess, um, and I have a, I have a business partner in the, in the cafe business and, um, he, you know, he was like, Oh, you know, Matt, what have you done? Like you, you've gone political and it's affecting our business. And I'm like, Oh mate, like, you know, it was not my intention at all. Um, it, it'll be okay. You know, it was only probably a handful of negative reviews at this stage. And then, um, I woke up Monday morning and like I had 18 negative reviews, all these comments that notifications of people commenting, abusing us, direct messages, abusing us. Um, you know, some guy, some, the sleeping giants made a, um, a, a video edit. They went trolling through my Instagram page and found a photo of me from like four years ago at a, a function where I met, um, Tony Abbott, um, with a couple of mates and, you know, they, they turned that into the, I was like some kind of like, sleeping mole inside the Liberal Party that was planted to say whatever that, you know, they wanted. I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, are these guys like, seriously, it was very well edited. <laughs> it was a, it was almost a compliment. And so anyway, I was just kind of like, hey, um, I said to, you know, a couple of friends that are close and I said to Tim, I said, look, you know, just letting you know, this is what's happening. Um, I, I still stand by what I said and I still stand by the message that the industry has been pushing out there that, you know, we need something. Um, anyway, um, I guess we got that on the Sunday. Um, pretty much Daniel Andrews gave us a roadmap um, on the Sunday and then on the Monday, um, you know, I said, Tim's like, oh, you know, I'll take, I'll take them all down. And I said, look, I, I, it doesn't really hurt me personally, but you know, I've worked six years on this brand um, and to see our rating on Google go from 4.7 to 4.3 in less than 24 hours, I was like, um, mainly the Sunday post is like the one that's getting the, all the negative like feedback. We had a bit before that, but it was like not as malicious. Um, and so, yeah, and so he, he, he took that down and then um, I told someone else and like, before we knew it, the, the Australians knocking on the front door, you know, we want to do an interview about this. We can't believe it. Um, you know, they, the photographer was here two hours later. We did the interview. Like it was just like boom, boom, boom. Um, and we got a, a, a little bit more press out of it. And then what was, you know, um, what potentially could have been quite devastating to the business ended up becoming like this massive positive story and we had so much support. I like literally was getting random people after the Australian on the Friday, we had um, uh, half a dozen people call between eight and eight 30 um, saying, you don't know who I am. I'm Andrew from Queensland. Just want to let you know, stick to your guns, blah, 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 support, support, support. Like there was just support from New South Wales, Queensland, Melbourne, like all these, you know, there, there was nothing, there was no intention behind the phone call except for saying, we support you, um, you know, you're doing a good job, don't let these people kind of bring you down. And it wasn't really until then that I started to think, oh, it was kind of affecting me a little bit because I was just kind of like, 
you know, staying strong and it was like, I'm, I'm a positive person by nature. I'm glass half full always and what have you. Um, and then I started thinking, yeah, you know, these buggers, like, you know, what, what right do they have to kind of, you know, try and bring my business down? And then, um, yeah, and then I guess um, that was overwhelming support from random people and then people who do follow us, um, you know, they were coming to the window. Oh, we saw you in the paper. I can't believe this happened. You know, like, so it was a very, you know, um, I guess the it was a very small minority of people that started getting negative. And then when by, you know, by, by Sunday, um, we already had support. And then someone comes to the window, this um, lovely lady and her dad from Campbellwell, they come to the window. He was 95. Um, and they're like, oh, we just seen you on the outsiders. I had no idea that it was anything had happened. I was in the, in the shop and um, they're like, oh yeah, um, Rowan Dean, he's just like giving you the biggest plug. We're here to support you, um, you know, and had a great chat with uh, Mr. St Dr. Snell from Campbellwell. He was like, um, you know, 95 looked about 70 um, and we, we had a good chat. And then literally from there, we had like probably another dozen people come to the window that day saying, oh, we saw you on the outside, saw you on the outside, saw you on the outside. It's coming from like Campbell, Bourne, South Yarra track. Um, you know, the, and then again, yesterday, um, I was working in the office, but um, pretty much had to move my office downstairs because there was like so many people coming to the window to say like, you know, we support you, we support you, we support you. So, um, yeah, I guess that's the story. Here we are. Nice one, Matt. That was fantastic. Now, you mentioned that uh, your rating went down from 4.7 to 4.3. Has it recovered? Has it gone uh, back up again since it, the positive press started coming in? Yeah, look, um, I guess it's recovered in a way that um, we've had like ridiculous amount of five-star reviews and um, comments of support on both Facebook and Google. Um, the the rating has gone up to 4.4 right now. Um, I, I sent, a, I sent a, a note to Google asking um, if they could remove some of the one-star reviews because, you know, we've been, been a victim of... Uh, you know, a smear campaign or a hate campaign or whatever. Um, eight of those have been removed so far. Um, you know, I'm not. I'm not sure what the algorithm is. Like, how many five stars you need to to overcome one star. I'm not really like. I've never spent any money on our Google. Like, it's all organic. Um, so I, I, I'm not sure what the what the process is. Um, it's good to see that Google have gone ahead and, um, you know, looked through some of them and, and actually removed some. I, I did, um, we, we did an interview on 3AW on Friday. Um, DD opened a show with it and um, spoke for about half an hour. We had all these calls of support coming through there as well. I forgot to mention that part. But um, whilst I was on the radio, I'd noticed that um, someone who had actually had his identity on a review removed it as as we were going on 3aw which was quite interesting really? yeah I, I um but you know like i 
I recorded all of the, I screenshotted all of the reviews and recorded all of them just in case that we ever needed them. Um, I even had somebody contact me on Monday morning saying, um, you know, perhaps, perhaps we should speak to our mate who's a lawyer and like, see if we can, uh, you know, scare these guys out of doing this ever again to anyone else. Um, which I, I'm not really that way inclined to, you know, I think that would be negative energy that maybe I don't need at the moment. Like we're trying to, we're trying to come out of a pretty bad hole right now. Um, you know, and rebuild our business. So I'm not sure if I need that distraction, but you know, like that's the type of stuff that's happening right now because of this. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's one of those stories where it starts off like really sad with sleeping giants getting on you, but then reading up on all the support you're getting. And then the story you tell right now, of all the people like calling in from Queensland and visiting the cafe, you go like, Oh, this is actually really positive. I think this ends with you becoming the most reviewed cafe in Australia. Like everyone <laughs> wants to get, everyone wants to get involved in this one. Yeah. Yeah. Look, um, I think, I think definitely we've become the, the most famous cafe on Chapel street for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, look, it, it, I guess it's um, it's funny, you know, uh, I, I live my life by like positive energy and, um, you know, and everything happens for a reason and stuff. And so I guess this is all part of it and you know, um, getting to tell the story again through another channel and, um, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're getting, you know, I guess um, right now it's been like amazing timing because we're going into a rebuild. And so to have more awareness of who we are and what we're doing is like, it's great for us because it kind of, you know, um, gets us back on the front foot, gives us a bit of positivity, having all this support behind us as well, going into like, it's a pretty, like it's a pretty grim um, task. Um, you know, when you've got a lot of businesses struggling and you know you hear reports all the time like as drastic as 80 percent of hospitality businesses will consider not reopening their doors um if the economy is not there you know like uh, because there's an opportunity to get out um without any kind of serious ramifications so like it, it's really it's really going to be um tough for the next two months and then again the three months beyond that like you know um i think that by the end by the end of the financial year um you know some of your favorite places will be closed for sure like uh, i think that it's just the way it is it's going to be everyone trying to reopen and not everyone going back out spending the same um i think the first couple of weeks will be will be solid and then i think people will kind of be like oh you know, I like saving that money or they just don't have jobs, you know, like um, there's, there's so much unemployment or, or reduced wages. And, um, you know, so I think that there's a real uh, danger of losing, um, you know, uh, of losing your favourite place um, to go out and to have a coffee or to have a, a beer or, you know, grab a meal or whatever. Um, and I think the first quarter of next financial year is going to be... Um, where you know it's we'll be able to see exactly the full effects of it but um i i am on the border 
I'm a director of um, the Chapel Street Precinct Association as well. And, um, you know, we had two businesses shut down last week. Um, the, you know, and I guess they probably could have kept on going, but like the, the vision of like how far, like how much work you got to do to get back to where we were is like, too, it's very daunting for some people. Um, I'm a sucker for a startup. Like I, I've, I've had 11 startups. So for me, this is just like, oh yeah, cool. You know, we'll just dig in and we'll, we'll, we'll change the model of how we need to. But yeah, I guess I'm kind of rambling a bit there, but yeah. Matt, just one more. I know that you uh, that you said that you had positive vibes and that was great, but what, what do you feel about Sleeping Giants? They ripped your rating down after six years of work. You saw one of them was pretty cowardly in removing their review once the heat was back on them. Do you have any feelings about those people or do you try and just keep it positive? Uh, yeah, look, I don't, I don't have any kind of um, feelings of revenge or... Um, you know, like I'm not going to go out of my way to to let them affect like my life. Um, I, you know, I when 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 people hate, like you know, uh, you know, you let the haters hate, and you know, kind of just means that you're doing a good job. Uh, usually, when people try and bring you down, um, it's I, I played a lot of competition sport um, up until a couple of years ago, and you know, it's like when you when you're on the field. Um, and, you know, someone's given you lip and it's usually because you're getting the better of them. So, um, you know, like it, for me, it's like, is what it is, whatever. Like it's not going to bring me down. Like it is um, disappointing to see that a group like that can have such an impact so quickly. Um, and I guess there would be other uh, maybe other people not as mentally strong or not being able to kind of deflect it. Um, and, it, and, it, and it, it, you know, it could ruin a business. Like if, if we didn't get back on top of it and, you know, like uh, who knows what might've happened this week if we didn't have the support around us that we did, um, that, that, that hay campaign could have kept on going and going and going. Um, you know, if that if that had have happened, maybe I'd have a different opinion <laughs> right now as well. Well, you're a better man than me. So, uh, Matt Lanigan, owner of the South Yarra Cafe, Lucky Penny, and I'm with you. Like, uh, the next couple of months is really dependent on people getting out there, supporting the hospitality industry that's taken such a hit. So, if you can spend money, go to your favourite cafe and definitely in the South Yarra Cafe, uh, South Yarra area, head, head on down to Lucky Penny. So, Matt, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks, guys. Uh, keep up the great work. Okay, monster show this week. So we are going to fly through the last thing we've got prepared. We're going to cut a few stories, but there's one story that does not deserve to be cut and everyone needs to know this. So Gideon Rosner, good friend of the show. Check out The Heretic, which is number seven on the uh, news and politics charts over the weekend. So people are really getting around The Heretic. Check that out, the inside story of Peter Ridd's case against James Cook University. Uh, Gideon also live tweeting from the trial today. So follow him uh, Gideon, at Gideon C. Rosner. Keep up to date with all the heretic stuff. Great friend of the show, great man in general. Now, he tweeted out over the weekend, well played to whoever signed me up for this. And he shared a screenshot of uh, the introductory, thank you for signing up to volunteer with the Greens. So someone obviously jumped on out of Gideon Rosner's details to the Greens email list. 
Good joke. Then getting followed up with okay enough because he'd also been signed up to Ellen Sandal MP's Green New Deal uh, newsletter, the Australian Union's team's newsletter, and Jacobin Magazine, the Far Left Magazine's newsletter. So I think we need to devote the end of the show, Pete, to saying, it, everyone, stop doing this. It is not funny to sign Gideon up to emails like that. And I reckon everyone needs to be on guard about how to do it so that they know if they're ever in a situation where they catch themselves doing it, they know to stop. So I reckon mm. we'll just show them beat by beat how to sign Gideon up to something that he would hate just yeah. so people know how not to do it. That's right. That's right. So it doesn't continue. Yeah. So don't do this, but I'm now going to the Socialist Alternative website in Canada. I think it was, I found this last night. It was Canada. York University. Did you have any that you wanted to uh, show people how not to sign up for? Because I've just been having a Google round now and I can't quite find what I'm after. All right, fine. Gideon, uh, look- so- I'll keep looking, you go. All right, so I'm at uh, the Socialist Alternative uh, at York University in the middle of Canada. So what people shouldn't do is find, where is it, name section. So I'll just say Gideon and I'm also going to say from Bolton Pete. Can you co-sign on this one? Yeah, I'm happy to. If yeah, yeah, Gideon from Bolt and Pete, uh, just putting Gideon's email as well. So yeah, again, if you find yourself doing this, th- this is when you should know to stop doing this because it's not funny, and it just gets in the way. Uh, and then, have you ever been a member of a union? I'm just going to say yes. Uh, which which union? What union do you reckon Gideon's been a part of? Oh, <laughs> oh, how about the Gideon oh, union? Student union. What did you say? The Giddy Union. Gideon Union. The Gideon oh, okay. and Union. Giddy Union. I reckon it works. Oh, I reckon it plays. He, okay, let's do that. I, th- I know he used to be on the Student Union. He was like Vice President of the Melbourne Union, Student Union, but let's, um, let's do that thing. All right, so I filled out all the details and then, yeah, the last thing you definitely don't want to do is click send and sign him up. So, you know, I'm just going to... One of more fields have an error. Please check and try again. Oh, oh, I no. need to put in a last name as well. I need to put in a last name. I'm just going to say love you. All right. Gideon from Bolton is- Pete. Love you. His email. Have been a member of the union, the Giddy Union. Send. All right. Don't do that. What? Never do that. What is... What did that... What did you just not sign Gideon up to? Is it York University, th- did you say? York University's uh, socialist alternative. What made you cho- choose that university? Uh, I just wanted to pick one as far away from people's purview as possible, just so they didn't interfere with it themselves. So don't do that. That is it for the show this week. Thank you to Greg Sheridan and Matt Lanigan. Go check out The Heretic. Go check out Gideon Rosner's uh, email, uh, Twitter feed and definitely don't sign him up for anything. So we'll see you guys next week. See ya. See ya.